You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. Pure Bull Beef Jerky wants to thank everyone for the overwhelming response to our favorite bag of beef jerky, Huck and Fock. Have you tried it? Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Skeersnacks.com and you'll see cherry smoked chipotle, cranberry smokehouse turkey, aloha pineapple, and yes, our favorite and your favorite, Huck and Fod. Go to Skeersnacks.com. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's great to be here with all of you. Uh, A brief reminder before we get started uh, to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of women leaders. Each one brings us news and education from their industries, and we are so eternally grateful for their partnership. If you are interested in being a part of our watch team, feel free to visit our website and download our partner page at womentowatch.net to learn more. And be sure to download the podcast and sign up for the newsletter to never miss a show. Now, I am very honored and excited to welcome to the show Mary Dempsey. Mary is the president of DePaul College Prep High School in Chicago. Mary, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Susan. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. And I guess we should give a shout out to my sister-in-law, Stephanie Foley, who connected the two of us. Put yes, you- we Put you on my radar. Yes, we're, we're delighted to have her and uh, her, her children be part of our family here at DePaul. 
That's terrific. Um, so Mary, in reading a little bit about your background story, um, I wanted to start the show off just talking a little bit about your upbringing. And I'm always interested in kind of um, how a child's placement within a family impacts them. And I know that you were the middle of five siblings growing up. Tell me a little bit about that upbringing and the community that you grew up in. Oh, certainly. Um, you know, I was very fortunate. I it was only as an adult that I heard people talk about what being a middle child means. I, I don't really know if any of it applies to me. I was very fortunate to have um, very supportive uh, siblings and brothers and sister uh, and, and parents. My siblings and I are all each two years apart. Uh, so we know each other's ages simply by doing the math on any given time. And I was the oldest girl. There are two girls and three boys. Um, all very uh, wonderful um, and supportive, and we're still very close to this day. But I, I really felt like I was nurtured and supported um, and encouraged by all my siblings to do well in school, um, to have a broader view, and uh, certainly my parents supported that as well. I, I know that actually you, you described your parents as really having to sacrifice to be able to put all of you through um, Catholic school, what they considered a, a, a very good education. Did you recognize that as a young girl that they were making those sacrifices or do you think you noticed that later in life? Yeah, I think I probably realized it later in life. I mean, we knew that, um, uh, you know, the bicycles we had were um, from the secondhand shop, but they were great bicycles. And we knew that we, got one pair of good shoes at the beginning of the school year, but those were your school year shoes. And in that regard, we were no different than our neighbors. We grew up in a in a near suburb of Chicago, but our grandparents still lived in Chicago, so we spent a lot of time in Chicago. We had cousins in Chicago. Um, so we had a, a, a view that was, this is the way everybody at the height of the baby boom was raising their families uh, with just enough to go around and um, not enough to really be spoiled, but we were very grateful for everything we had. I think. Yeah. Tell me, tell me if the, um, those experiences shaped your ambitions in life. Oh, I think definitely. I had, um, I had a grandmother who, who was a widow who I only ever knew her and she died at 88. I ever only ever knew her as a working woman. Um, so all through my father's childhood, uh, and, and adulthood, my, his mother and father both worked. And after her husband died, she continued to work. So I had that idea. And then I had an older aunt who was a teacher. My mother had been a nurse until she started having five children. So she stopped working, but I had role models of women who worked. And, um, I had this, um, this idea that that was instilled in me from childhood that, um, each of us would go on to college that, yes, you're going to go to Catholic school. Yes, you're going to go on to college. I have a younger brother who went to public school because he had some special learning needs. But for the rest of us, it was just a given that um, we would go on to college and um, go on in careers. And and I'm very grateful for that looking back uh, because I went to a girls Catholic high school and I remember some of my classmates uh, were not given that support. And uh, really being shocked and coming home freshman year and saying to my parents, you know, so-and-so, her dad says because she's a girl, she doesn't need to go to college. And, and you know, wow. that was not what, and this was pre-Title IX. 
so we were we were at the early part of the baby boom pre-title nine and and um and it was um that was a revelation to me because that was just a given that education was the stepstone that was going to lead you further and that you would take advantage of that in any way shape or form that um that you had to do well in school in order to earn um, the appropriate scholarships and scholarships were going to be an important thing for me and for all my siblings um, and so we took it, we kind of took school seriously. In that yeah, regard. I think having a grandmother who was ahead of her time is such a great example. Um, in addition to the all, all girls um, environment in high school, um, tell me what, do you see any drawbacks to that? Because I think, you know, um, there's so many positives as far as girls being allowed kind of the relaxed atmosphere and no distractions um, to be able to really strive to do their very best. Is there anything that you, you know, that was difficult? No, actually, you know, it's funny. Uh, we just had our 50th reunion from our class and uh, we talked about the fact that being an all girls school, we felt very empowered and we had very liberal nuns candidly. Um, and we were very empowered to speak our truth, to speak our voice, to find our voice. We were in high school at a time of uh, great um, civil unrest. Uh, there was a lot of uh, um, real, uh, in our neighborhood, there was a lot of strong conversations around social justice and racial equity. And then the anti-Vietnam War protests were going on, and uh, both when I was in high school and college. And, and our nuns really encouraged us to talk about that, to think about that. And they encouraged us to find our voice. And I think that would not have been as effective, candidly, if we were worried about whether or not the boy sitting in row three was going to ask me out to the dance um, if I spoke <laughs> my mind. Now, I, I say that today as the president of a co-ed Catholic high school, um, where I'm happy to say I see young women who have found their voice. But I think it's it's a little bit um, it's it's not that it's harder, but it was really easy to do in that in that environment. Yeah, it's interesting to me, Mary, that you ex had those kinds of experiences growing up. How would you say we are um, today when we think about girls finding their voice? Has you know generationally has it gotten better, or do you think there's still challenges, but in a different way? You know, it's a really, really interesting question. I think the um, inhibitions that girls uh, may feel about uh, speaking their voice may have to do with the fact that a lot of uh, our girls who I think are, are less um, able to do that or less um, interested in doing that early on um, may just be from a familiar background where they're a first-generation family. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to help them bring their voice out. I think they do know how to speak. I think they do know how to express their feelings. I think they are caught up in all of the same limitations that we had, which are compounded by social media. And um, that, yeah. that could take us for hours to talk about. But I, I, I think, it I think yeah. it's, it's incumbent upon us to encourage girls to feel comfortable having a voice. And I feel that yeah. the boys are generally very, very supportive of the girls in our school, at least, in, in speaking their truth. Yeah, awesome. Um, we're going to go into our first break. Stay with us for our watch, uh, excuse me, for our sports watch with Jen Welter, and I will be back with Mary Dempsey, again, the president of DePaul College Prep in Chicago. We'll be right back. Women to watch. Sports watch. 
Hey everybody, this is Dr. Jen Welker and you are listening to Sports Watch. Too many times people look at the highlight reel of your life and they don't see what happened in the dark. If you're going to make it to the bright life, you're going to have to take some L's. And as a matter of fact, doesn't, doesn't life start with L? So that means you have to get through it to get to it. As, as a person who played sports, like I have won championships, but the Super Bowl that I will never forget was the first one I ever played in, and we took the L. And you know what? I learned a whole lot about it. I learned I never wanted another team to catch me off guard. I knew I wanted to be the most prepared athlete that I could be, and I hadn't felt that way going into that game. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if we'd have won that first Super Bowl, if I would have had the passion and perseverance to go on to win four or to play long enough to win two gold medals. So let's just put it really simply. Life, it starts with L. You've got to get through them to get to it, right? Follow me and all my adventures, or you can say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this evening by Mary Dempsey, the president of DePaul College Prep in Chicago. And I wanted to start this next segment with um, a beautiful quote. You said, I married a successful and visible attorney who believed passionately in me and loved nothing more than to see my work recognized and appreciated. Um, I love the way you you worded that. And I think, you know, more than just having a, you know, a good husband who's a friend, he really was kind of your champion. And um, tell me the kind of impact, you know, that had on your work, having a husband who stood really directly beside you. Uh, it made all the difference in the world. I mean, we, we both found each other later in life. We were both established in our careers. And I think that was one of the things that drew us to each other was that um, we were established, we, were, we knew who we were, we were confident in ourselves and our own abilities. Um, but what was really remarkable, and I know this does not happen with a lot of um, successful uh, couples, he was my uh, loudest champion along with my own family, my parents who were still alive at the time, uh, at various points in my career, when I was offered opportunities to do more, whether it was in the practice of law or when I was asked to um, to take on the, the running of the entire Chicago Public Library system, he was the one who said, um, you know what, you have the skills, you have the capability, you have the passion, you have an ob- obligation to do this. And at every point when I'd say, is this a time for me to scale back so we can go off and do more things together. He'd say, no, you are doing such an amazing job. I want you to keep going and do more. You have a responsibility to take those gifts that you have and use them. And I know that I've had people tell me, do you have any idea how lucky you are at the time or you were? And I say, yes, I do. I I absolutely know that because I've seen other people where their marriages were more um, challenging because both people were very accomplished, and yet there was a competition. In our case, um, it was 
generally mutually supportive. I was so proud of him and everything he did, and he was extremely proud of everything I did and was, uh, at a certain point, a friend of mine said, he's your PR agent. <laughs> because <laughs> about, Mary, tell them what you're doing. Tell them about this. Tell them about that. He, he was just a, a great, great support and, and gave me such, I mean, to me, that was part of unconditional love. And equally, he was, you know, forging his own path and doing some incredible work. Uh, you know, sadly, he passed away. That must have been so hard for you. Right. Um, but I, I just think that's such a fine example of, you know, that mutual admiration and at the same time encouraging more ambition is um, is rare. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and I was lucky. His his name was Philip H. Corboy, and he was a very, very well-known personal injury attorney in Chicago and also nationally. He represented a lot of uh, injured people and their families and did some groundbreaking work. And I was so very proud of him for what he did for for society, for them. Um, but it was it was it was mutual. He was extremely proud of the work that I did. And uh, we were lucky. We had 25 years together. It was great. That's nice. Um, you know, in addition to your role as president of DePaul, you um, you also lead two foundations, the DePaul College Prep Foundation and your own family foundation, Philip H. Corboy. Um, tell me, you know, those are two different roles. And I'm wondering for you personally, you know, what is the difference in the satisfaction you get from presiding over a college prep school and your foundational work? So our family foundation supports um, uh, institutions and organizations in the Chicago area. And it's, it is, as you say, a family foundation. Um, because our resources were principally made here in Chicago, we focus on Chicago institutions. And because my husband, like me, was a first-generation student, we support a lot of education uh, in and around Chicago, also social services groups, racial equity groups, and, and things of that nature. So tremendous satisfaction. And, and Phil used to say, doesn't it make you feel good to give away money to help people? And it's true. You know, you can transform lives that way. And people you will never, ever meet, but you know in some way you're making a difference for them, and it's very satisfying. My work with the DePaul College Prep Foundation is really um, part and parcel of my work as uh, president of DePaul College Prep. Um, and the foundation is really the financial um, arm of the D college prep. Uh, and so it is really where our endowment resides. It's our capital campaign resources. It's our ability to purchase our new campus a few years ago to expand it through uh, additional buildings. Um, and athletic facilities, and it's really where those resources reside. So the work of the DePaul Prep Foundation supports the operations of DePaul College Prep, which is uh, growing. Um, I'm proud to say we are 940 students after only eight years in existence, and we will be 1,100 students next year. Um, so we're growing every day. And I think what we're really proud of is the fact that we um, are sponsored by the Vincentian Fathers, who also sponsored DePaul University and Niagara University and St. John's University. But like DePaul University and those schools, we are religiously, racially, socially, and economically diverse. And so we represent the families of Chicago. And that was our goal in founding this school eight years ago, was to be a high school that would have values and faith-based 
but that would support the diversity and the rich diversity of the city of Chicago. You know, that's such a um, it's such a huge responsibility, Mary, what you're doing. And I wonder if you what do you think it is? What are your gifts that allow you to do it and be so incredibly successful, as you said, in a short period of time? Well, I have a great uh, academic team. I have a fantastic principal, Dr. Megan Stanton Anderson, and an entire team of faculty and counselors who do the work of the academics. My gift is administration and management and financial operations. And it's something I did in my 18 years as commissioner of the Chicago Public Library. And I think that's what I'm able to bring to this. I kind of provide the resources so that the academics can do the job of educating our students uh, to provide a great physical environment, a great spiritual environment, and a strong financial uh, environment. We have a great board of directors with whom we are able to work. And it's for me, it's a great deal of fun to take um, the skills that I have as a manager and administrator and to put them into something that I actually have a passion about, which is Catholic education. We're going to go into our next break. Uh, stay with us for our military watch, and I'll be back with the president of DePaul College Prep, Mary Dempsey. Now the women to watch, military watch. You may have heard that just last week, the Coast Guard rescued 18 snowmobilers and ATV riders who were cruising on a frozen lake in Ohio when they became stranded on an ice floe that had broken away from land. This rescue is only one of the many missions of the Coast Guard and the Coast Guard Reserve. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. This coming week on February 19th, the United States will recognize 81 years of our Coast Guard Reserve. While the Coast Guard was established in 1790, the Coast Guard Reserve was created in 1941 with the passing of the Coast Guard Reserve and Auxiliary Act. The Coast Guard Reserve is a flexible, responsive operational force dedicated to protecting our nation's ports, waterways, and shorelines in times of both conflict and peace. With just over 6,000 members, the Coast Guard Reserve may be small, but it is has You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply had a large impact not only on keeping our country safe, but also in paving the path for women in the service today. In 1942, the Coast Guard Women's Reserve 
nicknamed the Spars, was founded. Nearly 10,000 women volunteered to serve in the Spars between 1942 and 1945 in support of World War II. When the Spars opened to black women in 1944, only five signed up, with the first being a trailblazer named Dr. Olivia Hooker. As a survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921, Dr. Hooker learned at an early age to turn adversity into opportunity. And when she joined the Coast Guard Women's Reserve, she trained to be a yeoman, a position that was tasked with administrative and clerical work. Now, after World War II had ended and the Women's Reserve disbanded, Dr. Hooker went on from being the first black woman to be on active duty in the United States Coast Guard to being among the first group of women to obtain a PhD from the University of Rochester in clinical psychology. Dr. Hooker then spent her life advocating for people with developmental disabilities. Now, while Dr. Hooker is no longer with us, this week we can celebrate her memory and all those who are serving and have served in the Coast Guard Reserve. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Mary Dempsey this evening, the president of DePaul College Prep in Chicago. Um, you know, Mary, when I look back over your life, books have certainly been a very uh, big part of your life. And, you know, um, you mentioned your role as commissioner of the public libraries in Chicago, and um, you launched One Book, One Chicago, and also You Media digital technology initiative for teens in Chicago. Um, what do you believe it is about books that really have such a strong impact on young people and can change the trajectory of their lives? Well, I can certainly say for myself, uh, books and libraries were part of my childhood and part of my entire life. I actually love them so much that I got my master's degree in library science. Um, along the way so that I could become a librarian. I think books open the world to you. Uh, regardless of your circumstances, your surroundings, they can transport you to another place. They can educate you. And they are um, so, uh, so, I think, welcoming uh, to everyone. And so they're an important part of my life and they should be an important part of everyone's life. And, you know, and, and books, whatever their media, if the, whether they're in print or online, um, and we felt this at Chicago Public Library, and I see it again today in our own library here at DePaul College Prep. Um, students are still, young people are still drawn to the magic of books because of what it, what books can do to help them expand their minds. And that's, that's really what you're about, right? That's what we should all be about. We want young people to have, to expand their ideas, expand their minds, um, read things that are dangerous, Read them because it all, it's, you know, it's only through reading dangerous things that you really can spark the intellectual critical thinking that is really, really important if you're going to become an educated uh, an adult. You know, Mary, I wanted to take the opportunity having you here to talk about um, as an educator, um, and I know your day to day is not directly with the, the students, but um, we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, unrest among young people today. And I think about a city like Chicago, and we're here in Philadelphia. 
Um, do you have your own personal views on how these young people can be reached um, to have them uh, learn about alternatives to what's happening in their communities? I, I, you know, I do. I think unquestionably um, COVID has really been uh, um, unfair to young people. It's been unfair to everybody, especially those who've been uh, physically affected by it, who've, who've died or have lost people to it. There's no question about it. But the emotional toll it takes on young people um, and those who've been out of school, we've been very fortunate here at DePaul Prep to be in school and to have our students here, whether last year it was by hybrid, this year they're all here in person. But I think being out of school um, was a, is a real um, uh, deficit for kids. They need the structure of school. They need to have to know that people care about them. They need to be engaged. When they don't have in-school activities or strong after-school activities, and so many of those got curtailed because of COVID, um, they're kind of lost. They have nowhere to go. They don't know what to do. And if their families are struggling to just uh, continue to make ends meet, there's no one at home necessarily to support them. So I, I think COVID has done a real um, uh, disservice to, to young people. And I'm grateful that uh, we seem to be coming out of it because I think we have a lot of work to do around social and emotional wellness, around physical wellness, and around intellectual growth that um, for the last two years, I think young people have been robbed of that. Do, do you feel hopeful that we will catch up, that we can get back to a hopefully even a better place? I mean, it's... I, yeah, I think, I think if COVID has taught us anything, it's, to, it's the ability to be flexible and to pivot. Yeah. And so what I think is, do we measure success academically the same way after COVID that we did before? Um, we, I think, uh, the questions that we're asking ourselves all the time are how do we address these social and emotional needs of students? Even the students who have been in school, um, throughout, they're seeing it, they're feeling it, they're seeing it at home. They're feeling the anxiety. How do we address that? There are strategies to do that. And how do we invest in those strategies? Um, not only in schools, but in after school initiatives, so that we can find more productive ways, ways to help young people. I think they are our future, but we need to invest in them a little bit more. Do you see overall as, as a nation that schools are looking to implement programs, initiatives around the mental well-being of students that really wasn't a part of the curriculum years ago? It was not. It's certainly a part of the curriculum here at DePaul College Prep, and it has been for actually pre-COVID. We, we saw the need for our principal really identified the need to, to address that. I, I can't speak for schools across the nation, but I certainly hope that we do use this as a moment where we think, let's take a pause and realize what we've learned, what the deficits are, and how as, as intelligent human beings... As, as intelligent human beings in this society, how we improve society by addressing some of those needs. Yeah, I, 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 we talk a lot on the show about the fact that, you know, no student, no person can really reach their fullest potential if they're not emotionally well first, right? And then open to um, the academics. Yes. We're going to go in. Yeah, we're going to go into our last break and I'll be back with Mary Dempsey. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. 
Hi there, my name is Diana Barnes, or DB as most people call me, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer and Creative Director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand for over 30 years. We know that companies who give back to causes that are important to their consumers tend to grow faster, have increased brand loyalty, and attract top-tier talent. But what if your company's corporate giving is fragmented or non-existent? The former was the case when I joined Munchkin seven years ago. The company made donations to organizations, but there wasn't a strategic approach to its giving efforts. Sometimes a company's choice for philanthropic support, commonly referred to as CSR or corporate social responsibility, is evident. A shoe company donates sneakers to children in need, for example. At Munchkin, we leaned into less obvious choices. Just like the parents that use our products, we're concerned now more than ever about the world we're leaving to our children. Ensuring that at-risk and endangered animals survive for future generations is a primary pillar of our CSR. Our product line, Wild Love, infuses our devotion to animal welfare with our most successful products, our 360 Miracle Cups. The line is solely focused on educating families about these at-risk species and supports our biannual donations to the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Our philanthropic efforts also support Trees for the Future and the building of the world's first whale and dolphin safe haven through the Whale Sanctuary Project. We make these contributions because it's important to our founder, our employees, and our consumers. When I tell people where I work, they either recognize our brand from our most popular product, the No Spill 360 Cup, or they know us as the baby brand that cares about animals. Either is a win-win in my book. When it comes to defining CSR efforts for your company, don't be afraid to look beyond the obvious places or ways to give. Commit to a cause and to ongoing long-term donations. Find reputable organizations to give to by searching on GuideStar or Charity Navigator. Get your employees involved with volunteer opportunities and share milestones and accomplishments with your consumers. After all, they're the ones that make the giving possible. To learn more about all of Munchkin CSR work, please visit us at munchkin.com. Bullying is just something that's on every parent's mind. Couldn't be more true. I feel it. Parents are not meant to be their child's best friend, at least not in the younger years. Oh my goodness. I want to jump through this microphone and give you a hug. Humans have been parents. Guess what? Since the species developed, you're doing a good job. It's going to be fine. Hey parents, it's here. Season two of Stroller Coaster, the podcast for parents of kids of all ages brought to you by Munchkin. This season, we've got even more great content for you. Plus, you've got me, your new host, Lynn Smith. I've been a news anchor for CNN, NBC, a producer for the Today Show. And all along the way, I got to interview some amazing people and do some exciting things like fly a plane. That was fun. And as a journalist and a mom of two young boys, I am thrilled to be here at Stroller Coaster. I get to share my parenting journey with you, plus interview experts who have information parents like us really need. Share some inspiring stories from real parents around the world. Talk to a surprise celebrity guest or two. And let's just have some fun. So don't miss out. Join me, Lynn Smith, for a smart, inspiring, fun season of Stroller Coaster, the parenting podcast brought to you by Munchkin, the most loved baby brand in the world. Subscribe now. Now, the women to watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and it's American Heart Month. 
So let's talk about heart disease, the most common cause of death and disability in women in the U.S. Initial symptoms are often similar, but can be different in women than men. There may be chest pain with exertion, a heart attack, heart failure, or sudden death. Differences between men and women can make it harder to identify in a woman. Women may not associate early symptoms with heart disease and delay seeing the doctor. Then the doctor or nurse practitioner may not recognize early symptoms of heart disease in women. Chest pain is the most common symptom in men and women. In a large study, women were more likely to describe pain as crushing, squeezing pressure or tightness. And women are more likely to have chest pain at rest during sleep or with mental stress instead of physical exertion. On the other hand, of patients who do have a heart attack, women can present without chest pain more often than men. In fact, women, patients with diabetes, and younger adults may present without classic chest pain but have shortness of breath, weakness, nausea and vomiting, palpitations, or fainting. So, a heart attack may not be recognized in women, especially younger women, causing delay in diagnosis. In fact, data show that women are not referred as often as men for appropriate testing and or therapies, despite similar clinical findings. In a study of more than 10,000 patients who went to emergency departments in the U.S., women with evidence of early heart attack were more likely to be sent home than men. Women are more likely to have heart failure or a weak heart. Risk factors, diabetes, previous heart attack, kidney disease, hypertension, still smoking, obesity, and atrial fibrillation. Differences between men and women can make it harder to make the diagnosis in women. The message, if it seems like a patient's having a heart attack, the assessment should be similar in men and women. And that's the heart of the matter. Tune in to Your Radio Doctor here on WPHT every Saturday evening at 5. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Mary Dempsey, president of DePaul College Prep in Chicago. Um, Mary, you are, you know, we didn't get to really cover all of the things you have done throughout your career. You're incredibly accomplished. You've received five honorary degrees and numerous other awards for your work. Um, as each, you know, each time you're recognized and your work is celebrated, I wanted to ask you if that motivates you to strive for more. Is that a drive that you have? Well, I think the awards are lovely, um, but I hope that I always remember to say that it, it's not me. And there is no, I, I always tell young people in every graduation speech I've ever given, there is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. Everybody gets help from somebody else along the way. And anybody who says they didn't is not telling you the truth. Um, everything I've ever done in my career, whether it was as a librarian a lawyer, an administrator, and now um, the president of a Catholic high school has been because I've worked, I've been able to work with incredibly smart people, creative people, thoughtful people, people who share my passion for whatever mission it is we're trying to achieve. So I think if I am spurred on by anything, it, it goes back to my childhood when I was really, um, you know, taught by my family that I had a brain and an intellect and I had a contribution to make and that that I had a responsibility or, or not really an obligation, but a responsibility to use that brain to its highest and best use and to move forward um, to help other people. 
Um, and so I, I credit that to my family, my Catholic faith, my education, um, and the fact that I've been able to take some of the tools that I have and to use them to help other people um, in whatever I'm doing. It, it, that that's what motivates me is to is to know that you can you can change a life. Um, and we we say in our vision statement here that we're trying to create an educated, just, and compassionate world, one student at a time. So you can only do it one one person at a time. But if if you're able to to, to help even one person in life, that to me is 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 a great motivator. Because then they go on right and they pass it forward. Yeah, that ripple effect. You cannot undermine that ripple yeah, effect. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm curious to know what. Um, if there's something that when you think of your, your outside of your professional career, something you're most proud of um, it, personally that perhaps you have overcome or um, saw a growth and an evolution in yourself personally, can you share that? You know, I think um, I think if anything, I've been proud of the fact that 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 even as as I age, that I feel that my um, I like to try to keep young uh, mentally as much as possible i i am of that generation that believes that if i if the computer doesn't work that it's probably because it was something i did to break it and so i love <laughs> the fact that uh but i continue to learn and that's sort of why i love being surrounded by young people because they they have uh, really helped me to stay current on topics whether it's a social topic a justice topic, but a technology, uh, uh, to stay current with technology and to decide the things I'm going to embrace versus the things I'm not going to embrace. Like I'm not going to do TikTok. <laughs> I haven't ventured into that myself. No, <laughs> I can appreciate their, you know, their desire to do it. Um, and so I think staying young and I had that again, I had, I had a young mindset from my family um, and to stay physically active and to understand that um, there's a great, wide, beautiful world out there. And uh, it's our, you know, it's our joy to continue to, to celebrate it and to explore it. You know, you mentioned TikTok, Mary. Do you worry about um, where we're headed technologically? So there's wonderful things that come from our ability um, to use technology, the tools, whether it's in medicine or you know, just this ability for you and I to be having this conversation, right? Um, sure. But there's a balance too, right? That there's that human side that people are starting to be concerned we're getting disconnected from. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think technology is great for, um, and, and it's really come to the forefront in the, in the whole COVID and, and keeping people connected. But you're right. It can be, it can take uh, especially young people down a rabbit hole. It can take people. I, I see the the impact that social media can have on our political discourse, our civil discourse. It can be extremely destructive. Um, and so I, I do worry about that, but I think that's where education comes in. I think that's where values come in. I think that's where human touch and human interaction has to become something part of what we uh, continue to to champion because it's only through that that we're going to overcome um, the negative impacts. It's not that the technology is bad, essentially. It's how people use it that can be destructive. And I think it's up to us as human beings 
to turn that around. Yeah, I, I agree. And hopefully, I think, you know, uh, we've certainly missed the past two years of that human connection with, with COVID. So I hope there's more of an appreciation for it, uh, more of a yearning for it. Yeah, I hope so, too. I think that I think there will be. I do, too. Listen, that's it for uh, the end of the show. And I thank you so much for taking time from what I know is a busy day for you to share your story with our listeners. Susan, it's been my great pleasure, and I thank you for asking me. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with best-selling author Lydia Rosati. Have a great week, everyone, and stay well. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.